0: Thank you for your blessings and guiding us through this life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, I know we probably should be doing something about Easter week and the resurrection and all of that tonight, but uh, we still need to finish the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, our cheerful, uh, just uh, invigorating study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Of course, it is probably... Uh, the most depressing book in the Bible. Um, It is the only one where continually this idea of uh, vanity of vanities, thus saith the preacher, all is vanity. Uh, The word vanity means nothing. And he is not talking about just nothing. I mean, how many times have you ever Put forth great effort and it doesn't turn out. when it's all done, you say, I expended all of that effort for nothing. Has anybody else ever had that happen? Now, he's saying everything is nothing. In fact, I'm talking about the nothing, the most nothing of all the nothings. I mean, that—that that is Solomon's attitude toward this. And, again, what we need to do is we need to understand that this was the real sediment of Solomon. This was what was going on in his life. Now, honestly and truly, did he have any reason to express such despair and lack of joy in life? He was the king of all Israel. He was the wisest king, one of the, arguably the wisest man that ever lived, Specially endued from God with wisdom and riches and power and a long life and a stable kingdom. Uh, The builder of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, a temple which uh, is just simply without peer in human history. I mean, we have the great pyramids in Egypt and uh, the the hanging gardens of Babylon and some of these incredible things. But I I want you to think about the temple. One hundred thousand talents of gold. That's seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds of gold. Now, uh, in our modern measurement, uh, the the gold pound is 13 ounces, not 16 ounces, but each ounce roughly, I mean, gold has fallen off about, what, 30% or so, down about $1,000 an ounce right now, something in that neighborhood. Do the math. Uh, take that 750000 multiply it by 13, and then multiply... That number by a thousand and you'll have a basic idea of the value of the gold that was in the temple. That doesn't count the brass without weight and the million talents of silver that went into the building of the temple. And the cut stones and the beautiful trees and uh, engraved in the wood and then overlaid with gold. Solomon was the builder of all of these things. And here he comes down to the end of his life. he's saying, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know what? If we learn anything from Solomon, just because you start well doesn't mean you're going to finish well. We, we need to take warnings. And that's what the book of Solomon is about. And over and over again, we're going to try to finish it tonight. Because, and I call tonight's lesson Finishing Thoughts. Solomon is just, he, he's, he's running out of steam here, exploring all the evils under the earth and all the bad things that happen to everybody. And he keeps coming around in the same circle and ends at the same place that you ought to live today And enjoy it. You know, that's the hardest thing to do. I I can look back on my life and I remember as uh, my wife and I were planning our marriage and putting things together, uh, there was a much greater thought in my mind and on her heart as well, I believe, uh, of starting a church in New York City. But we knew that that wasn't going to happen until after we were married. And and uh, we we had would have to raise support and all of that. And the Lord gave me a job teaching at Heritage Christian School. And uh, I'll tell you what, if I'd ever wanted to start a Christian school, uh, which I really didn't because I knew all the problems they cause... Uh, that year cured me. Um, because I'll tell you what happened, has happened with the Christian school movement is parents have advocated their authority as parents saying, the church and the school is going to raise my kid. And let me tell you, it doesn't happen. God only designed one thing on earth to raise children. It's called Mama and Papa. It's called the home. And if that doesn't do the job, the Christian school's not going to do the job. The church isn't going to do the job. The church is not the place, uh, is not here to raise children. The church is here to raise parents so they can raise children. Amen? And uh, I taught school that year. I had all of the Elementary music. How many of you remember ta-ta-ti-ti-ta? Ta, ti, ti, ta. Do you remember that from first grade and second grade? That was my job. Could you imagine me doing that? Actually, that was more enjoyable than trigonometry was, uh, which I taught trigonometry and the elementary music, and we had our cat-strangling session every Tuesday morning with the clarinets, and uh, we had beginning brass on uh, Wednesdays, I think it was, and and praise the Lord, Brother Roush did not uh, put upon me beginning percussion, uh, because that would have ended up on the students' heads, amen? Uh, but uh, the as we taught those things, it kept me so busy just trying to learn the lessons and keep up with the students and stay ahead and and uh, yes you must prepare and fortunately my wife did a lot of that first and second grade and kindergarten well she did kindergarten and first grade and and then I would do second grade through 6 with the elementary music and we had choir and all of that and and uh, but I'll tell you what it kept me so pinned down that the only thing that we could get done that year was just Get our teaching done and enjoy a little bit of time together. You know what? That's what Solomon was talking about. You see, we can live our lives in expectation of the future. And that's what Solomon is going to address here in these last two chapters as he's closing it in. And if you do that, let me tell you something you're going to miss out on most of life. Because life happens today. You know, tomorrow has this really weird way of becoming today by the time it gets here. Uh, So don't worry about tomorrow. Now, you you need to have planning and things. And and the Bible tells us that we should start things and we should finish them and we should uh, take care of this. But uh, these last two chapters... Solomon is going to fill in his theme, and, and we can look, on, look at this, and it's going to actually be a lot of, uh, uh, of idioms, uh, speeches, wise sayings here. He starts off in verse 1 of chapter 11, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. So we look at these first two little statements and people are trying to figure out and boy, I'll tell you what, it is an amazing thing of all of the places that people go trying to understand this. How many of you have ever cast your bread upon the waters around here? I mean, you just get a loaf of bread, go out to the city park and throw it on the water. What do you get? Ducks. Swans. Seagulls. Pigeons. Okay. Well, this wasn't in a city. It's talking about taking what you have. You know, uh, I am not for feeding pigeons. But you know what? God puts it on the heart of people to take care of them pigeons. Uh What this is simply saying is, take what you have, disperse it, put it out there, don't try to keep it for yourself, and guess what's going to happen? I mean, how many of you would rather have roast duck than just a piece of bread? I mean, that's, that's basically what he's talking about here. He's talking about taking what you have, putting it out there, it's going to come back. You know what? It doesn't hurt to help somebody. The second parable here, or phrase that he's saying that he uses, give a portion to seven and also to eight. Well, why does he say to do that? It says, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. You know what? If you have something extra and you give it to somebody and help them out, Are they going to be more willing to help you when the time comes? That's the idea of these verses. Don't live for yourself. Why? Because things are going to happen. That's where he's going to go next. How many of you know what happens when the clouds are full of water? Rain. Unless it's April in New York City, then we get snow. Amen? Um, But it didn't last long, praise the Lord. Um, It says if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. Hey, uh, does it take a rocket scientist to figure this out? Actually, it wasn't until almost modern times, the 1700s, that we really understood what we call the hydraulic cycle or how the water is evaporated from the oceans and carried over the clouds and, 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 and all of those things. Solomon understood it. That's what he said. If the clouds are full of water. Now, I want you to stop and think, what is a cloud? It's basically a bunch of congealed water vapor, is it not? But how much water can a cloud carry? I mean, we've seen three and four inches of rain in a very short period of time, different times here. And you get a tornado or, I mean, a hurricane system coming through, and you can get 20 or 30 inches of rain. Water weighs nine pounds a gallon. How many gallons of water does it take to cover New York City with 12 inches of rain? I mean, that's pretty impressive. I don't believe that we have the wherewithal to carry that much weight in all of our great aircraft and our lifting cranes and all of that. And yet, God developed this thing called clouds that can carry hundreds of thousands of pounds of water and dump it on the earth in a very short time now look at this next one, uh, the, the, the professors they, of uh, philosophy, they love this. If the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. Uh, Solomon is just being fatalistic. And of course, the famous question is, if the tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it, does it make any noise? Of course it does, stupid. Just because you're not there to hear it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. That's what they're trying to get you to think of. And Solomon says, don't play games. It's, there are natural walls that are going to take effect and you don't know whether those clouds are going to drop one inch of lightly falling rain or 20 inches of flood hurricane and wash everything away. But let me tell you something. If you've taken your life and what God's given you and spread it around a little bit, there's going to be some people to help you when the floods. If you've lived all for yourself, guess what? There's not. So, cast your bread upon the waters. Make a portion for seven and for eight. You do as God gives you opportunity to do, because the weather forecaster seldom gets much more done than prognosticating about the weather. That's what verse 4 tells us. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit... Nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh them in all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. You know what he's saying? Work. Work hard. Don't stop working when the sun goes down. Don't just be one of those persons that do your daily minimum requirement. I've I've tried to figure out where in the world we come up with this daily minimum requirement thing. Uh, You can get through life just doing what you have to do. But you know, the people that get ahead, Bill Gates didn't get ahead working eight hours a day. Uh, the man who founded the Holiday in Chain, he said, I've gotten where I am by only working half days. He said, you pick which 12 hours you want to work. He, he was not talking about just putting in what is required. And... You know something? As we get through this, you're going to realize that, you know, that's habit that you have to put in your life when you're young. Because once you get a little older, it's hard to change your habits. How many of you are old enough to realize it's hard to change habits? Um, And so we come here to the end of chapter 9. He says, Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun now they tell us that we have seasonal something depressive order i can't remember the whole term for it that when you don't get your enough sunlight that it actually affects your mood and the chemicals in your body hey that's not a joke it's real enjoy the sunlight the Bible says it's a sweet thing. It's something that we need. And it says here, But if a man lived many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. You know, we we sometimes do wrong by just Allowing, especially our teens, to do nothing. You know, I I believe in allowing children to be children. But you know what? Even children can learn how to work. Isn't that right, Joey? Uh, It's rejoice in the days of your youth, but remember something. We're going to get to chapter 12 in a minute. And Solomon is going to wax his most eloquent poetry. And, and he's going to cover this aging process with beautiful words and pictures. But what it all means is you're going to get old and die. And and that's what's going to happen to all of us. And so he takes these last two chapters, chapter 11. Remember, Hebrew poetry bounces or rhymes ideas rather than words. Uh, I, I kind of like English poetry because if it's done right, you bounce both. You have the ideas in the words and, and it and it flows and it tricks in a way in your mind that makes you stop and think about it and enjoy it and sometimes laugh. But uh, when you translate poetry, it doesn't work. But Hebrew poetry does because it was never meant to rhyme. Sometimes the first letter of the first word of a different, uh, of a line or a verse or something will all follow uh, in order. But the, the idea is the thoughts. He's, he's saying, okay, to the young guy, here's what you do. You've, you've got to walk In the sight of your eyes, you walk in the ways of thine heart, but you better remember something. Every choice you make with your heart, every path you choose with your eyes, God is going to judge you for it. So maybe you'd better make those decisions based upon His words and His wisdom and His thoughts. Amen? But... Don't let your heart be filled with sorrow. How many of you remember what Nehemiah? The joy of the Lord, what? Is your strength. Now, that hadn't happened yet. And so there's no way Solomon could quote Nehemiah. But the simple truth here is Solomon is actually doing the backwards thing. He says, Don't let your days be filled with sorrow. You remember, your childhood and your youth are vanity, but you better use them to get prepared. Because when we get to chapter 12, he says, remember thy, now thy Creator in the days of thy... What's that next word in there? In the days of thy youth. The patterns you set now that's one of the reasons I enjoy the teaching of the inner city missions class. It's young men that are setting the direction for their lives. Uh, and the, uh, the thing is, it says, this is one of the reasons why we stress our teens, why we take them to camp, why we make opportunities for them. It says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. My granddad always had this thing he'd tell me, I think every time I met him, well, Petey, don't get old. And I'd tell him the same thing. Well, granddad, considering the alternative, I'm going to try. Because there's only one alternative to not getting old. That's dying young. Uh, I want to serve the Lord with my life. And the Bible says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. If you wait till you, quote unquote, grow up to serve the Lord, there's not going to be anything left over to serve Him with, it's going to be spent. It seems just yesterday that Peter was a baby when we started the church, when we were traveling on deputation. Now, he has a baby of his own. And it hardly seems like all of those years have passed till you get the photo album out, till you look in the mirror, you try to get out of bed in the morning. You know, growing old hurts. But, like you said, what uh, what was that phrase they used? What doesn't hurt doesn't work. So I'd rather have the hurt. Amen. Uh, this is what he says: As you get old, you're going to lose pleasure in in days because it's just going to take. More effort to get less done. Get ready. It's coming. And don't worry about those young whippersnappers who laugh and make jokes about getting old. Guess what? Their day's coming. Amen? Uh, They're going to get the same thing. And so Solomon goes through. And, you know, uh, I don't want to take too much time here, but I do want us to get some of the beauty here uh, of his... Of his poetry, and uh, I I don't know, I, I think part of Solomon's beautiful poetic lament of getting old age was trying to candy coat what was happening to him. But I want you to understand something Solomon really wasn't old. Solomon reigned 40 years, David reigned 40 years. It was probably somewhere in the middle of that 40-year period. We do not have an exact time period, an exact date set. When David sinned with Bathsheba, that was Solomon's mother. That was all over, and then Solomon was born. David was probably 20, maybe even 25 years into his Reign as king when those events took place. That would make Solomon in his late teens or early twenties when he ascended the throne. He only reigned for 40 years. Solomon did not get to 70 years old. He may have only been 55 or 60. You know what? In my way of looking at things at this point, that is an incredibly young man. Because I turned 50 years old this year. Uh, Solomon was not an old, broken down man. Or was he? You know, sin will age you, sin always takes more. Than it gives. And so here we have Solomon who really should be getting to that point in life where he can really start enjoying things. And there's no joy there. Because he lost it. And he goes on, and let's just look through this. Verse 2, While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. Now, what he's simply talking about there is diminished eyesight. You know, you get cataracts, and it will give you cloudy vision. And he says, listen, the sun goes away, it gets all cloudy, it rains, the sun comes back, and you look out at the sun, and all you see is clouds. Why? Because you're getting old. Your vision is not what it ought to be. And then he goes on, In the days when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those that look out out of the windows be darkened. Now the keepers of the house trembling, and the strong men bowing, I, I don't care how strong you are, when you get old, things change. I met one 93-year-old man I wouldn't have wanted to gotten in a wrestling match with, but I was taking care of him in the nursing home. And uh, he had to be uh, monitored and took care of and all of those things. But let me tell you, the keepers, your hands just aren't as steady as they used to be. It says the... the, uh, Uh, The grinders cease because they are few. Guess what? You lose your teeth. And those that look out the window be darkened again, this thing of eyesight. And the doors shall be shut in the street. What's the thing that happens when you visit grandma? Shut the door! It's cold in here! I mean, that's what Solomon is simply saying. You don't go out as much. You don't have the freedom to do what you used to do. And he said, uh, the sound of of the grinding is low, and he shall rise at the voice of a bird, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. You know, many times as the older person loses their hearing, there'll be certain pitches that they can hear perfectly and it'll scare the living daylights out of them like a bird singing, high pitch or right there. But all the normal sounds, you can't hear a thing. I remember we went up, uh, not this past summer, but the summer before, and uh, we figured, uh, you know, Brother Nielsen was getting a little older, we'd take the accordion because it was loud and he'd be able to hear it. He couldn't hear it. I mean, he could hear it, but he couldn't tell. He couldn't even pick out the hymn anymore. And that's what happens as you get older. And he said, And when thou shalt be afraid of that which is high, and fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish. Uh, I, I read on that one. I said, what in the world does the almond tree flourishing have to deal with getting old? Well, the blossoms of the almond tree are white talking about gray head. Uh, uh, The the almond tree is going to be covered with white blossoms. You have white hair. And then it says, the grasshopper shall be a burden. Why? Because he makes one of those sad, mournful sounds that kind of pierces uh, the lack of hearing and bothers you. And it says, and desire shall fail. Because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. Or ere the silver cord be loosed, and the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. What that's simply talking about is, if the pitcher's broken at the fountain, you can't get get anything out of the fountain. You can't get any water out of a broken pitcher. If the wheel is broken at the cistern, you can't lower the pitcher into the cistern. You have a life full of memories, but you can't bring them out. Uh, And then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. So he ends his lament by saying, I'm going to die and I'm not happy about it. My life is worthless. Why? Because he turned his back on God. That's why. Now we've got just a few verses here. I think we'll be done on time tonight. It says, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, you notice how that is past tense. That's a scary thought, is it not? He said, the preacher was wise. He still taught the people knowledge. Yea, He gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of the assembly, which are given from one shepherd. Now, look what he's saying here. He's saying the preacher was wise and the things that I taught were true and they were very wise and I gave people wisdom when God used me to give wisdom and now I'm in despair because my life did not follow God's counsel. How many of you know what a goad is? A goad is a stick with a sharp point. And you see, oxen and mules, they have this habit. They don't like to go where they're supposed to go. And if you get up close enough to slap one of them things on the rump, especially an ox, you know what you're going to end up doing? Hurting your hand. Uh, if you really want to stimulate an ox, you've got to have something to inflict pain. But if you're close enough, when you inflict the pain, you just may get one of those feet right in your face. And that could be the end of life. So you get a long stick and you get up behind him and you poke him in the uh, posterior and he'll move forward. That's what a goat is. Uh, How many of you have had someone come up behind you with a sharp stick as you were growing up? And give you a pope to move you in the right direction. Amen? Hello? That, that's what he's talking about here. But you'll notice how he ends this. He said, which are given from what? One shepherd. He says, all the wisdom that I had was mine. It came from God. And I'm going to warn you about something. And further by these, my son, be admonished. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Every college student memorizes those verses, I'm sure. Uh, But the simple truth is... uh, Who was it? It was Brother... Heberu came up and said, You need to write a book, brother. Well, you know what Solomon said? "Of writing a book, there is no end. Uh, I'll tell the story to anybody who wants to hear it. Maybe the Lord will have us put it in print someday. But you know what? That's not my goal. Because there are so many wonderful stories of what God has done in so many lives. What we need to do is get living today. Amen? Somebody asked the question, why don't Baptists write books? Well, we're too busy enjoying life to sit down and philosophize about it and write it in a book. Uh, I would like to think that was true. Wouldn't you like that to be true of your life as well? Uh, I, I would hope that you would enjoy that and join me with that. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. How many of you remember hearing the story of Hudson Taylor, the missionary in China? He, he wrote a book, The Secret of Hudson Taylor. You know what Hudson's Taylor was, secret was? Fear God and keep His commandments. Uh, you know what Solomon's secret was? He didn't fear God. He didn't keep His commandments. And now he had a life that was nothing whereas he could have had a life that meant something. And he's not looking forward as he pens this last verse. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You can hear Solomon's consignment of himself to God's judgment, just like Eli said when little Samuel told him the prophecy that the angel of the Lord had given him during the night. He said, well, let the Lord do what's good unto the Lord. Well, the Lord was going to do what's good unto the Lord because Eli was not doing what was good unto the Lord. You know what? Let's, let's not reach the end of our days and agree with Solomon. Amen? You know what I want to have happen when I get old and can't walk by myself anymore? I'm hoping and praying there'll be a few grandkids around who are big enough to hold me up. Amen? Uh, that's, that's what it's about. You say, well, I don't have any grandkids. Well, just stick around in the church and we'll loan you a few. Amen? Uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. Because you don't have tomorrow, young guys, young children, learn how to work. Don't learn how to be content when okay, that's all we're going to do today. Hey, keep working. That's what Solomon says. and And don't become a weather forecaster. I'm sorry. I, I appreciate all the work that the weather forecasters do in warning us of all these terrible things that hardly ever happen. And every once in a while, they get it right. How would you like to spend your whole life with an average lower than Major League Baseball players? I mean, it's, it's sad. But, you know, if you spend your life telling the weather... How are you going to get anything done? Brother Mike, I'm sure, remembers these guys in Bible college. They knew the signs of the time. They knew all the answers. And they were right about so many things. And you know what they're doing 30 years after you graduate Bible college? They're still sitting there telling everybody what's going to happen and how it's going to be. And they have never done a blessed thing that counts for eternity. Lord, save me from being a weatherman. That's what Solomon is saying here in chapter 9. Let's go get something done. Let's fear the Lord. Let's keep His commandments. You know what? If you keep His commandments today, you're in a perfect position to try again tomorrow. And if you fail in keeping his commandments today, guess what? There's First 1 John 1, nine that will put you back in a position to try again tomorrow. Because remember, even though you're learning the patterns that are going to determine the rest of your life when you're young, all of the decisions... How many remember how many stupid things you did as a teenager? Aren't you glad that they didn't destroy your entire life? Amen? That's what Solomon means when he says childhood and youth are vanity. It's not going to destroy your life. But if you learn the patterns of hard work, when you get old, you're not going to be like me. Now Solomon waxed incredibly poetic and I couldn't begin to tell you how many references of history come out of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I mean, if you read any of the philosophers or any of that stuff at all, you're going to hear Solomon's sentiments echoed over and over again. It would seem that it would be the most studied chapter in all the Bible uh, by some people who don't want to get anything done. But if you just get those last couple of verses, don't try to write a book about it. How about you live the book first? Amen? And just fear God and keep His commandments. And remember, He's watching. How many problems would be solved if we could just truly understand That even though nobody else is watching, God is. He sees when you get angry and nobody knows. He sees all those things. That's what fearing God is about. And remember, you don't have to keep his commandments 20 years from now. Because 20 years from now, if you should live that long, we'll still be today. So let's just work on today. And that will stop us from being overwhelmed with all the terrible things the government is going to do to us. You know what? Let's not walk today in the sorrow of our heart. Let's rejoice in the goodness of God today. You know, somebody did some of this. We, we have all these consumer indexes and, and uh, polls on how people feel. And one of the things is there's a lot of people that don't feel bad about themselves, but they feel bad about what's happening to everybody else. You know what? Rejoice in the good that God is doing in your life today and stop worrying about all the rainy days that are somewhere else, that doesn't mean, that, let's go back to verse 1, cast your bread upon the water. If there's somebody out there that God puts in your way that you can help, guess what? you got a duty to help. If there's seven people there and an eighth one shows up, hey, put some more water in the soup and let's go on. Amen? Prepare portions. You don't know what the future's going to hold. What was one of Bill Gates? Uh, inevitable rules of life or whatever. Be nice to the geeks because someday he'll be your boss. Uh, That's what it's talking about right here. It's not new. Bill Gates has has discovered some wisdom. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made all the money that he did. But you know what Solomon said? Cast your bread upon the waters. Prepare a portion for those that could use it. Because what? It's going to come back. And you don't know what the future is going to hold. So you sit there and look down your nose and despise somebody and then walk into the break room and find out who the new boss is. You know, I, I often think what Mrs. Potiphar went through when Pharaoh promoted Joseph to second in the land of Egypt. Have you ever thought about that? You know what? I bet she didn't have much fun when she showed up at state dinners after Joseph was in charge of the land of Egypt. You know why? Because she didn't do what she should have done. It'll come back. Because God is a righteous judge. Let's just do right. Fear God. Keep His commandments. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we just ask That you would help us to focus upon your word and just simply doing right, doing right today. Lord, we've got a whole day tomorrow that is going to spring upon us. Lord, let us not get caught up in the despair of Solomon, but rejoice in the goodness of our God and let's live for him. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll let the piano play. If you need to come.